Michael McMullen. Welcome once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast. And my guest this week is someone who probably doesn't mind people being reminded that he is still the reigning Indian Open champion. It's Matt Selt. Welcome along, Matt. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Now, you were born in 1985 at a time when the game, in terms of its popularity and profile in the UK, was at its absolute peak. Now, unless you had cue in hand at the age of four or five, I'm assuming we were into the 90s by the time you started. But it was still pretty big then, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was late 90s when I started playing. I think I was 11 or 12, uh, so I started quite late. Um, and yeah, my uh, my first you know memories as a snooker was uh, actually watching Williams play Hendry at the Masters. So, you know, you're talking quite late, really. Um, I was lucky enough when I was growing up to uh, there was a guy that used to play at, at my club. His name was Robbo. He drove Steve Davis around for like Robbo Brazier, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. so he kind of like kind of like a father figure to me, really. So all them stories from the eighties, you know, I was lucky to get you know good in- insights of what it was like back then. So although I started late, I, I know quite a bit about the eighties. Because you, of course, are from Romford, and at a time that was the epicenter of the snooker world, wasn't it? Steve and Barry and yeah. Robbo as well. Yeah, everywhere. And um, you know, I was fortunate enough growing up to play at the Romford Snooker Club, which is where the matchroom facilities and headquarters were. By the time I started playing, that had, that had gone. It had become Uncle Sam's pool hall, but but the tables next door and the nostalgia and everything about that place, you know, was was great for me growing up. And just walking up there every day was. You know, it was the highlight of my day, really, as a young as a young lad. What I've heard is that it was Robbo who actually first spotted your talent and sort of nurtured it. Would that be fair? Apparently to say? so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, he told me that he went into the <laughs> office at the matchroom and said to Barry and said to someone else about me. You know, I was there and playing, and I was quite talented and good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he. he um, there were a few good guys actually down that club that helped me along the way. I recently just saw one after thirty years. His name was uh, no, sorry, twenty years. His name was Bradley Reeve. Um, but there was there was it was an older generation up there, and they kind of looked out for me because I was you know I was I was a young lad. And uh, but Robbo for sure, it was a massive help to me. Like I say, he was like a father figure to me, and he drove me around for for a good two or three years to junior tournaments, press sat in Pontins. Uh, even when I turned professional for the first time, he was there. Um, so yeah, he, he was a big, uh, you know, he was a big positive in my life, and, and, and I miss him to be honest. I know he died uh, on the twenty fourth of February, uh, two thousand and ten. It was so, you know, very sad, to, and, and I miss him. He was still obviously very much a part of things right up to the end. Then absolutely, yeah, he was. You know, he was going up the snooker club every day, and I was practicing and stuff. So yeah, he was a big part of my life. You're like a lot of players, actually, from your sort of age group, Matt, in that when you first came onto the tour, you only got one year at that time. It wasn't a two-year card, and you struggled a bit and dropped off after a year. And then took four years, but eventually you did get back onto the tour. So tell us about your early years and how you found it all. Yeah, um, it was a big bit of a shock, really, turning professional. I mean, I was quite good from a young age. Um, I, didn't really, I wasn't really a prolific junior winner. You know, I did all right. I, I think I was ranked three or four behind Cope and um, Gary Wilson every year as a junior so you know they were obviously phenomenal juniors Um, and then I managed I had a great run at Prestat in one year I think I won eight matches I think it was to get to the final of the Open Series Um, I lost to Stuart Bingham 5-4 in the final which was you know for someone of my age I think I was was either 16 or 17 it was a fantastic achievement so to turn pro is a bit of a shock um, and like you say, I struggled. I wasn't very good at all. I just had a really good week. Uh, being on tour was great, um, just to see what it was like. You know, I felt like a, a kid at Christmas. Really, every tour I went to was fantastic. Um, it was everything I thought it would be. Um, it was just, you know, I, I, it wasn't a shame I dropped off. I just wasn't good enough. Um, I, I regret the four years I had after that. 
kind of like just messed around a bit, didn't work hard. Were you um, maybe not that bothered about getting back on, or was it just something you thought would happen? Oh no, eventually? I was bothered. I was bothered. Yeah. I was practicing every day with Mark King at the time uh, at the Romford Snooker Club. You know, very grateful for him uh, to be able to learn, go under his wing, and you know, I started practicing with a few top professionals around about that time. So it was a little bit more. Yeah, I don't really know, you know, why I didn't get back on, but I do know that I, you know, maybe I tried too hard, and I, or I wasn't working hard enough. It would have been a mixture of the things, but the four years in between were were quite tough, really. And then when I got back on, it was I was lucky to stay on. I think two thousand and seven. Um, I, I remember I had to qualify for the Welsh Open. I played Mark Davis in my last match. I played Barry Pinches before that. Uh, I managed to win them games, and, that, and I was I stayed on for the next year. And then, yeah, you know, I was slowly getting better, and I put in some good performances the year after. To and now I am where I am. Yeah, and it was great that you managed to stay on for the next few years because it meant you were around when the circuit really started to take off about a decade ago. Big part of that was the PTC events. That gave players so many more opportunities to have their week in the spotlight. And yours actually came in, of all places, Portugal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember it vividly. I remember, you know, everything about that trip. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously, you know, Barry coming on board and setting up them tournaments, giving everyone a chance to play more snooker. You know, it was a massive help and a, and a bit of a godsend, really, for the game. He's transformed it into a game that was dying and petering out into something that's. You know, for me, it's still a work in progress, but we know we're going to work. We're playing snooker. And if you actually look at when China's back on, you know, the prize money is nothing short of fantastic compared to what it was before. Uh, So, but Lisbon was a, it was a great trip for me. Uh, You got to the final, like it was just before Christmas and played Stephen Maguire. Yeah, it didn't start very well. When I got there, I lost my wallet. And uh, yeah. Just as well, you (laughs) won some money then. (laughs) And then Peter Lyons had to pay for everything that trip. So he was a little bit annoyed, but you know, I had some good wins along the way. I remember beating Judd. 4-1, 4-1, uh, you know, played really, really well in that game. Um, played Hawkins in the semis. I thought I was in the final. I was 3-1 up. He needed a snooker. He got the snooker and won, and then I won that. And then in the final, it was, you know, I, you know, probably looking back, probably should have won, to be honest. Um, I didn't, and then, uh, you know, we moved on. But that kicked on my career, I think, um, up until they had a few good wins. But, you know, after that, I started putting some good runs together in some big tournaments, Um or better than I'd ever done previous to that. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good good trip. And I assume once you got your runners up checked, Peter got his money back. He did. Yeah, he did. Good to hear. So we move on actually then to 2019, <clears throat> and what I think you probably regard as the best week of your career so far: the Indian Open, a full ranking event which hasn't actually been played since, which is why you're still the reigning champion. Long might continue. Yeah, indeed. Although, would you not like the chance to? Defend <laughs> I would. That? I would. Do you know? Do you know what? Like, obviously, winning there was fantastic. It was of the greatest achievement I, I've done so far. Um, and I'm not just saying this, but every time you go to India, uh, it's fantastic. The people are amazing. The way they treat you, the hospitality, everything is it's second to none. Uh, so it would be great to go back, not only to be you know defending it, but I don't think I will be defending it now. I don't think it works like that. Um, but it would be nice to just go back there and play snooker, to be honest. There wasn't much in the run-up to that tournament, Matt, to suggest that a win was coming. It was very weird. Um the qualifiers were a good few months before that tournament and in between that time of playing the qualifiers to go in there I changed my coach and I started sorry I didn't change my coach I added a new coach to to my snooker and that was Steve Feeney in the site right and I'm very firm in believing that if it wasn't for Steve and site right I wouldn't have won that tournament so you know maybe everything come together at the right time um, like I say had that tournament gone on just after the qualifiers there's no way I'd have won it definitely not um, had some time to do a bit of the site right stuff beforehand and you know managed to get the win 
Um, but you're right, there was nothing, nothing before. And, and as it happened, the first match I played out there, I was 2-0 down and uh, Tom Ford was on a break of 50, 50-0 up. And I was just sitting in my chair thinking, you know, another trip away, another defeat, go home, etc. And, and he missed an unbelievable blue. And I won that. And then ever since then, it was kind of like, I just felt like I was up for none. The so. schedule maybe helped you a bit, Matt, because the matches there came really thick and fast towards the end, didn't they? So maybe you didn't have time to think about it. Um, yeah, you could say that. Or you could say that uh, um, it was a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, getting to the semis in the final. I remember winning the quarterfinals against Lu Ning. Um, and uh, the semis were obviously starting at 10 o'clock in the morning. I can't remember. If I, I think I was the first match on at 10 o'clock against, against Higgins. John Higgins. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get to bed till 5, half past 5. Because I was just, just you know, I could, just couldn't sleep. So, um, yeah, I maybe I didn't have a time to think, but I remember waking up and I was knackered, absolutely knackered. Um, but I played okay against John, uh, and I went back to sleep before the final. So yeah, that, that I think playing first, obviously it would have been nice to get some sleep. But um, you know, playing that match and then getting some sleep after that was was a big help. Your tour place had been in doubt not long before Definitely. that. That yeah. changed it all, of course. Yeah, I think I went. I think I was ranked sixty going into that tournament. Uh, I remember having a conversation with someone from World Snooker beforehand and they're asking me about, you know, your tour place. And I just said, look, if I'm not good enough to, to be on the tour, I'll, I'll go and get a job somewhere else. You know, that, that's the fact of the matter. It's, Is uh, that what it would have come to, Matt, that you wouldn't have bothered with Q School? You would have just said I would, that was I the end? probably would have played Q School, yeah. But, you yeah. know, you're not forced to get through. And then obviously if you don't get through, what do you do? I'm not going to be I'm not going to be placing my life. And I had a little boy at the time on going and playing in top-ups at event, I can't rely on that. So, uh, yeah, I would have definitely got a job and done something else. Um, but, yeah, we, it was definitely, definitely there in jeopardy. And it was more of a, yeah, I didn't really think about it too much. But, you know, I'd always, you know, going through years and years of never really cracking it and, and doing anything um, particularly big in the game, you're always struggling to make ends meet, etc. So you've always, I've always had to be a bit of a dodger and a ducker and diver or whatever. And, uh, yeah, to have something else lined up, well, yeah, definitely, definitely lined up, yeah. When you play well, you are one of those guys who tends to actually play really well and can be a danger to anyone. So has it been frustrating over the years that the consistency hasn't quite come and you're not able to do that as often as you'd obviously like? I mean, I'd like to say yes, but but the reality is no. Um, there there will be a reason why I don't play well all the time. Um, so you always know when it's not happening, why it's not happening. Is that yeah, it? pretty much, yeah. Yeah, uh, even the other day when I played Tep Chai, I don't know where I'm ranked at the minute. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good player uh, on the tour. Um, I can play a lot better than I do do on the tour. There's no two ways about it. Um, but I don't the majority of the time and I need to kind of work out why that is. Luckily, I've got a, a B game that can compete. Um, but if, you know, I, I'm fully aware that if my A game is there, I will uh, I will compete against anybody. There's no doubt about that. You know, you said about India being my best week of my snookering career, which it is, but it's, it's not the best I've ever played. The best tour I ever played was Gibraltar last year, which I feel like I, you know, I should have won that game. I should have won that tournament, really. You know, I lost to Trump in the semis, but I made 69, 67 and 61 in that match and uh, lost 4-1. Um, but every match I played phenomenal and, and it clicked that week. Um, so, yeah, going back to, um, you know, when I play well, I'm dangerous. The, yeah, that, that's definitely the case. But I need to start playing well more often. Do you feel maybe there's a temperament issue? Sometimes that's the case with players who don't get the consistency you'd expect. Uh, it, it definitely was over the years, yeah, definitely, for sure. Uh, at this precise moment in time, for the last two or three years, no. Don't get me wrong, there are times when I'm playing and uh, my head doesn't ever drop. I get a bit angry, for sure. You know, well, you know, why not? You know, it's, it's sport, it's raw emotion. You know, I, you know, I'm not doing it to put anyone off, but I, I do... Um, yeah, I do. I would say let myself down a little bit in that regard. Um, 
but no, not a temperament issue in, in it affecting my game, I don't think, no, because now I'm, since I've had Parker and since, especially since I've won the Indian Open, although I'd like to play well all the time, I'm a lot less, um, you know, I, I don't beat myself up as much as I used to before. But yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I could do a lot more. There's a lot going on in life on the tour, isn't there? There are always things to think of, like travelling and hotels and facilities and practice and all the rest of it. Have there been times maybe where you've let outside things get to you a bit? Life on tour has perhaps bogged you down, or do you just get on with it? I think maybe the only one that would have outside that would have would have hindered my snooker would have been the gambling aspect of life. You know, I used to gamble quite a lot. I still like the odd flutter now. Um you know, you're talking about I gamble way beyond my means in regards to how much I earn, um, which is obviously not a good thing. Well, I did do, especially in the past. And that was purely because, you know, if snooker's not going well, I'm always looking to try and get some money from somewhere else. Uh, and that was the only thing I knew from growing up. So that definitely would have hindered me over the years. Um, <laughs> it played a massive part in me winning India. There's no two ways about it. I think I had about £1,000 left to my name before I went to India. Um, and I managed to win 10 grand just gambling in the first two days when I was there on the cricket. England were playing uh, West Indies and uh, obviously I was winning quite a lot of money. So every match I went to play in, I wasn't really thinking about the snooker as as bad as that sounds. And I felt like there was no pressure on playing. So, yeah, that's uh, yeah, I don't know whether you people want to hear stuff like that, but that's yeah, that was a big, big uh you know, contributing factor to that win. Yeah, no, it is interesting because I'm not saying it's always been to do with gambling, but we've seen a number of players who a little bit out of the blue have won a tournament in the last few years. And it's amazing how often at the end they come out with a story, I really needed this. I was down to my last few quid. So sometimes desperate times can produce your best stuff. Definitely, absolutely. You've got nowhere else to go. You know, you need to to do something about it, whether it's subconsciously, uh, you know... But, you know, if you look back at my actual snooker in Korea, my matches, the amount of times I've been behind when I've got nowhere else to go but lose or win, you know, I always you know, I always come back the majority of the time. Uh, whether I win that match or not is, you know, I, can't, I couldn't tell you the stats, but I've won so many games from behind where I've got nothing else to do. Like the other game, the other day when I played Tep Chai, I was terrible, absolutely brutal. Um, and although he let me off in the hook in the last frame, considering how bad I played for the first few frames, when I actually had to play okay and put something together, you know, I potted some good balls. And I think that's a sign of, um, you know, the way I am in life, really. You know, I'm happy-go-lucky, but then when something needs to happen, you know, it kind of does, which is quite nice. I think he's given up now and a nice little victory lap for Salt. A huge mammoth effort today. 12. Congratulations to Matthew Shaw, winner of the fifth Indian Open here in Kochi, Kerala. And this is a moment to save up for Matthew Shaw, the Englishman who's 33 years old. He's won his first major world ranking event title. Do you wish you could have that focus, that intensity all the time, that it could mean that much to you every time you play a tournament? Or is it just a case of, this is the way I am, I can't change myself, so I'll just make the best of it? No, I definitely would like it to be like that, for sure. Um, you know, I'm a little bit lazy in, in trying to find out ways to get it that way. And I've been working with Chris Henry for a number of years now, and uh, he's really, really good at that side of things. And uh, if, if truth be known, I'm very lazy with the stuff that he tells me to do and have been over the last few years. So I think I could work on that. I just, I just don't. Um, purely down to laziness really sometimes people just are the way they are and even if they want to change something they can't and they just ultimately have to accept that that's their personality yeah 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would like to say that's you are right. Um, but at the same time, I do sit here thinking, you know, you know, just get your act together and do something about it because you know you can change pretty much anything, can't you? Really? Um, and and if you're not changing, it, then it's your own fault. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not the kind of person to accept that I am who I am. I'm always willing to change and to look to see if I can better anything. And that definitely could be changed. Um, but like I say, I'm just a little bit lazy at the minute. Do you think maybe, Matt, it might get to the case when you're in your 40s and you realise, <laughs> OK, I'm running out of time yeah. now that then... It's amazing, you know, when you realise time is running out on something, how yeah. you can change your ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That could happen or it could happen next week. It could happen next month. Uh, you know, with the tour being as brutal and volatile as it is at the minute, I think, uh, you know, it could be a position where anybody's anybody's tour card's in jeopardy at any point, I think. Uh, you know, the top the top guys are the best players in the world. They go on a run of nine months. We've, we, you know, you could take uh, take Dave Gilbert for instance. You know, just won his first tournament, fantastic achievement. Um, going into you know top player for the last four or five years, top sixteen for the last couple. Um, you know, if you get on a run of losing first round matches, which anybody can, I don't, you know, Mark Williams dropped down to forties, you know, ten years ago, or whatever. Uh, you know, the top players are winning all the time and they're the best. Anybody, if they go on a run of losing, you know, you find yourself in a, you know, like quicksand and, and you need to do something about it. And not all the time you can do. Um, take another person, Michael White, for instance, phenomenal talent, great player, lovely guy, you know, top 16 player two or three years ago. You know, the, the peak of his game, winning tournaments. Now he's not even on the tour. Uh, so yeah, so you just got to uh, take everything with, with a pinch of salt, really, and just uh, just to evaluate the situation. Really, so I see it. You're seen as someone who likes to speak his mind, and I'm going to ask you two questions about that. Is that a fair assessment? And I would imagine you're actually pretty happy to be seen that way. Yeah, definitely. I I, I am. I don't think I, I'm not particularly rude uh, when I when I say what I, I mean. Um, and if I do, I don't mean any offence by it. I just, I just like to. I wouldn't say I'm that brash or, you know, like I say, rude. I've been brought up the right way, so I'm never really rude to people. But, um, but yeah, obviously, I'd like to. Uh, in my daily life, I want to talk and deal with people that speak their mind. They don't hold back, and uh, they just like to say things how they are and get everything out in the open rather than shy away from saying something uh, whether it's bad news good news I'd rather just know all the facts about everything and we just go from there well I'd like you to speak your mind now because okay. we've come to the quick fire round okay. so this is basically where I throw a few subjects at you okay. and you just say whatever comes into your mind it can be one word a couple of sentences whatever Okay. Neil Robertson personal player whatever you like Matt this is your gig uh, Neil Robertson is one of the best players of all time as a snooker player. An unbelievable, uh, you know, mindset, temperament is phenomenal. Extremely lazy, <laughs> extremely lazy. But you know, good guy, really good heart, uh, and yeah, just a, just a very good player. And someone a bit of an introvert. Um, you know, doesn't say any bad stuff about anybody. The Crucible, yeah, uh, daunting, just. Bad memories, really. Obviously, played two matches, two or three matches there. Three, three yeah, not one. I've had I've had one good session in in three matches. So yeah, not not a place that I like to to really think about. One match you would like to erase from your past. Uh, Mark Williams, Thailand tournament, which was the what was it? Uh, the one that Joe Perry won. The, the PTC uh, Grand PTC Finals. Grand. I was three one up in the quarterfinals. Um, and I was playing okay, and I absolutely crapped myself and lost four three. Stephen Hendry. Just hero. 
just an absolute legend. Uh, great guy. Um, yeah, this is quick fire, so we'll leave it as quick fire. Just a okay. just a hero. And one thing you would change about the game or the circuit or anything to do with snooker generally. Okay, I, 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 and I never said this before. I'd cut the tour. I think there's too many people on the tour. There's too many people playing this game that are not earning any money, not being able to support their family. So I'd cut the tour. Because it was 96 for a long time. So is that what you'll go back to? Um, no, I wouldn't. I'd cut it even further. I'd cut it to 64 if you look at the amount of people on the tour. Uh, do you want this to be a, an in-depth answer? or? Oh, yeah, you know, there's, you uh, there's, there's, there's 128 people on the tour without the top-ups, etc. You know, 30 or 40 of them are not earning a living. Uh, in my opinion, that is, you know, people say, well, look, he's earned, where's he going to go and get a job for 20, 30 grand a year? All right, great. But, you know, he's also sacrificing his life to do that. I know it's their choice. It's their choice. So, you know, no one's holding them to play snooker. But, um, I, I and I've never said this before, I've always thought, you know, one to eight is a good number. Give everyone a chance. I think everyone on the professional tour should be able to have a starting wage. I know, you know, Barry doesn't want to reward losing. And that's fine. But, you know, you've got people that are sacrificing their life to play snooker. Very few people are making a phenomenal amount of money or a good amount of money, which is great. But you've got to remember these people at some point are going to need to be able to get mortgages, move ahead, and you just can't physically do that uh, as a snooker player. It's extremely hard. Um, so that's the one thing I'd change. I'd cut the tour and have a very good secondary tour as well. See, I know you like to speak your mind, yeah. like I said earlier. Yeah. Let's move on then and let's look at... Your career now, as you look back on it, you've more or less said that you feel you could have achieved more in the game. I, st- I still think I will. Yeah, but you also, I get the sense, have enjoyed life on the professional snooker tour. So when you take it overall, both the on-table and off-table aspects of it, are you happy with your professional snooker life so far? No. Definitely so not. how much more can you do then in the future? <laughs> uh, that's Matt? a good question. That is a very good question. Uh, um, all rega- it all de- really depends on uh, how I play really if I figure out what I need to do if I can figure out how to play well on the TV tables on a more consistent basis you know there's absolutely no reason why I cannot be at the top of the game that, that, that's you know that's the fact of it um, there are some things I'm quite proud of in my career but there's also some things that I would like to do a lot better you've won a ranking event as we've said and we always say it that there aren't actually that many players in the game's history who have won one there are far fewer who've won two so if you could do it again, maybe win a event in your home country, a full week-long tournament with your home crowd there and everything, would that set the seal on it for you that you then really proved yourself and backed it up? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, I think I'd... Mentally, for me, not really. It would be nice. I would personally like to be competing more in the bigger events. You know, Obviously, to win another event would be great. It would be phenomenal. I would rather be competing in the latter stages of you know the UK, the world, the big big tournaments um, because they're the ones you grew up with, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I would. I, it's it's you know, it's always been a dream of mine to play at the Masters. You know, whether that happens or not, who knows? If it does, great. If it doesn't, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, but you know, I've, I've still got some certain things to do, as, as opposed to winning a tournament at home. It would be would be lovely to have my family there for sure. Someone who does know all about winning tournaments everywhere is Stephen Hendry, who we talked about there a moment ago. Made his comeback last year. You come out of the hat against him, and I know he smiled at that because you are good mates, as you were saying earlier. So what was that like? You, you played pretty well, but it must have been unbelievable because you can't have expected that was ever going to arise. No, and for me, it was the biggest match I'd ever played in. Um, for sure, there, there'd never been that many people watching me in a snooker match. Um, very daunting. Uh, I've been practicing with him up, up in you know for the last few weeks before he played that so 
you know, I knew where his game was at really. And I actually thought on the day he played better than he had been practicing. So um, I was very happy with the way I played. Sad to see him lose, uh, genuinely. It, it was an honour, really. It was an honour. I'd played him twice before in my career. Um, but yeah, it was just a privilege to be able to play that match against him. And you talked about the rest of the tournament earlier, saying that you played your best stuff ever. I Got did. to the semi-final. And again, though, you did need it, much like India, because things hadn't been going great in the run-up to that tournament. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't It wasn't a good season at all. I, I think I only won a handful of matches. Um, but, it's you know, there's winning matches and then there's playing well. You know, what would you rather do? I mean, I'm at a stage in my career where I'd rather... I don't want to sound ridiculous, but obviously winning matches is the name of the game. But if you keep if you keep winning matches and not playing well, it starts to mentally drag you down. Whereas that was the first tournament where I played that game, I was good. Played the next game, I was very good. The next game, I was very very good, and it just it, that went that way. So I would rather play well and compete, and maybe lose the odd match and, and keep playing badly and grinding that wins. I know you like to be sociable. You like to mix with people. So how hard have you found the last eighteen months? Um, the last 18 months have been the best 18 months of my life really? uh, yeah undoubtedly Why so? I will tell you I um, so I suffer from a condition called trichotillomania it's a pulling it's a picking and a, and a, and a pulling the hair follicles out so um, since since I was about 14 I've pulled all my eyelashes out so I don't have any eyelashes because of that 2008 I started picking out my eyebrows so I've had to pencil them in every day for the last 12 years um, the first the first lockdown came around and um, it stopped. The whole thing just stopped. So uh, and that's amazing, incredible. It sounds like it's obviously some sort of it's a men- it's a mental issue. illness, an yeah, anxiety it's a thing. I uh, couldn't tell you the actual diagnosis of of why it happens. Um, I don't really feel that under pressure or, or anxious about anything in life. You know, I'm very happy go lucky. Um, although I'm starting to find myself moan a bit more than I used to, but I'm, I'm always happy. Always look at the positives. I've always bring joy to whatever I do. Um, but it was the most bizarre thing that happened. It was just like there was no, I suppose it was anxiety or there was no pressure to no, prove myself to anyone because the whole world just stopped. So there was just like, there was nothing but peace and relaxation. I don't want to sound like I'm talking nonsense, but it just stopped and everything grew back. And then we went back to normal and I started picking it all out again. So... It's just weird. anyway. As you're looking at me now, that is all. Everything's grown back again, right? Um, because I've been through a procedure, which I had. Done. I actually had my eyebrows microbladed about eight weeks ago, so I had them done. And uh, the woman, anyway, she obviously microbladed them, and I wasn't allowed to touch them for two weeks. So having that two weeks off of picking them out, even in um, amongst normal life, just I've managed to continue, and they've all grown back. I still don't have my top eyelashes, but all my eyebrows are back. And that's the first time since 2008 they've been there. Was it something that had bothered you over the years Absolutely. to the extent that you really wanted Absolutely. to stop but just Absolutely. couldn't stop? Yeah, disgustingly so. You know, it's stupid things like going into a swimming pool with my little boy or going somewhere where I'd get, you know, wet. You know, I'd have to, I'd always have to carry an eyebrow pencil around with me. There's a great story with Sean Murphy when I used to live with him years ago in Manchester. He, uh, I left my eyebrow pencil in his car and his girlfriend got in the car at the time and was like, Sean, like, whose eyebrow pencil is this? And he's, and he's going, it's, it's Matt's, it's Matt's. And she's going, Sean, don't give me that, you know, you know who's been in this car? And she's like, no, it's Matt's. So she came in and said, is that your eyebrow pencil? I said, yeah, I've been looking for that. I need to do my eyebrow. So, yeah, it's, it's been it's been uh, something that I've wanted to do for, you know, 12, 15 years. I'd love to stop pulling, pulling my top eyelashes out, but I just I don't think that'll ever happen. 
You talk there about living with Sean. I'm picturing not quite men behaving badly, but probably quite a bit of fun. What's he like to live with? Better than men behaving badly. It was, it was, it was a really good eight months, six to eight months of my life. We played playing golf 36 holes a day the majority of the time. Um, we're really, really close friends now. Uh, have been for a long while. Um, great guy. Great guy and great fun and, and you know, just very generous and very hos- hospitable. What's the what's the word? Hospitable. That's the one. Hospitable. Very and uh, you know, it, I'm very lucky to to be a friend of Sean's. I've got to ask you, just completely changing the subject about the High Noon Open 2016, yeah. because you won it. It wasn't a ranking event. It's an event that's shrouded in mystery. People don't really seem to know what goes on there or where yeah. it is or anything. <laughs> it's it's actually a really really good venue. The, the snooker facilities there are great. It's, it's a tournament that I actually miss. You know, I went every year it was on. Um, you know, when it was a ranking event and you, could, and you could get in the Champion of Champions for it, which is which is what was available the first few years, you know, a, a lot of top players went there. Ding was there. Um, Bingham won it one year, beat me in the semis. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And it's, it's in a really nice part of China as well. Um, a bit out of the way from Shanghai, I think. But, you know, good tournament. And, and that, that was... That really was a, a a a nice big moment for me in my snookering career because I'd never lifted a try. I'd never won seven matches in a row before. You know, it's hard to win seven matches in a row at any level. So to do that was great. Um, yeah, it, it was just it was just, it was a fantastic victory for me, and that was, you know, I, I would say bigger than winning India really because I'd never won before. And although people don't want to, you know, whether people want to call it a win or whatever, for me it was a it was a professional win. I was you know, playing professional, so I was happy to win it. If you're standing there with the trophy and the check, That's it's a win. Absolutely, no matter what absolutely. the circumstances. Another big achievement, and it ties in with what we were saying earlier about how when you play well, you play really well. Five centuries in six frames. Now you have had a bit of a battle to get recognition for this achievement, haven't you? Oh, I'll, I'll probably get slated for saying this, but you know, I'm the only player ever that's made five centuries in six frames in a professional tournament. I don't care who it is against. I don't care where it was. You know, that has never happened before in snooker. I've made a 148 in practice, you know. A few people have done that. Great. I was so happy to do that. But five centuries in six frames in one match, so that is something I am very proud of. And, like, that will never be taken away from me. Someone might beat it. It nearly got beat the next match. I played Lu Ning. He, was, he made four centuries in a row and he was on the yellow. He had to clear up for five centuries in a row. I was sitting in my chair, absolutely fuming. You're talking about the stuff that I'm going to be able to take away from snooker when I'm finished. And that is, that is one of the things I'm going to be able to take away. No one has ever done that. Nobody. Uh, the only other person I can put in that same kind of category is Jamie Burnett. Because no one's ever made more than a 147 apart from him. In professional been, tournament play. Absolutely. Yeah. There's been a couple of people that have made 16 red breaks. Ricky Wald, uh, Mark Davis being one of them. Steve Ricky James Wald. did it at the did Crucible. He, yeah? There, yeah. there you are. Yeah. So, But no one's made more. So Burnett is, Burnett's on his own. No one's done that. And no one has made five centuries in six frames. And I know, you know, I'm, I'm a harping on about it. You know, that's very satisfactory for me. Listen, if I made five centuries in my whole life, I'd harp on yeah. about it forever. <laughs> At the end of it all, though, Matt, I know what you regard as your biggest achievement because we've chatted about fatherhood before and you're just so proud of your boy and he just dominates everything you do, doesn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. Since Parker come along, uh, my life's completely different. I look at everything from a... Uh, from a fatherhood and, and from a from a dad actually, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, I will, you know, I like to say what you know what's on my mind or whatever. But I watched Mark Allen and Rianne, and uh, 
kind of kind of hurt watching it to be honest you know seeing what they're going through i actually felt really sorry for mark allen the other day you know they're obviously going through what they're going through which is none of obviously none of my business but now everything that i look at i look at as a dad really i'm walking through town and i'm like looking at these young kids at like 18 19 and i'm just thinking oh just be safe and so it's just stupid stuff like that just enters my head but yeah since having parker I completely my life just completely changed and everything just everything revolves around him and, and doing just making sensible decisions what age is he now he's three it's only three yeah and you go so, back off and even between matches yeah, and yeah. tournaments just to see him uh, when we was at milton Keynes, which was a phenomenal you know phenomenal venue and stuff i was going back pretty much every time i won uh, just to see him and just to you know my wife does an amazing job at looking after him when i'm not there you know she's a she's a great mother um and he's very lucky to have her as i am uh, but i like to you know I, I don't do anywhere near the work she does but just to be able to be there and you know don't get me wrong he, he goes i say parker come and give me a cuddle he's like no i want mummy mummy this mummy that but just to just see him and uh, it makes my day a lot brighter for sure yeah well listen it makes our day brighter whenever we get to sit down and talk to you matt i really do mean that you're always yeah, a real joy to talk to and uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of your career and thanks for joining us on thank the you. world snooker tour podcast thank you next week on the world snooker tour podcast i'll be chatting with the very promising teenager sean maddox as he contemplates his second season on the tour and looks back on the challenges of his first. I didn't really feel I had my depth with the standard. I did get off to a good start in the first few tournaments. So I was having close games. And then through the season, I had the odd couple of games where I didn't really get much of a shot. Mm. Like Jamie Jones didn't really give me a shot. Scott Donaldson didn't give me a shot. And then there'd be other times where I'd play like Yan Bing Tao and I'd, I'd nearly beat him. And playing players who are more experienced, more used to the, the conditions and stuff like that. There was no one watching. I like people watching. Mm. I, I like to get a bit of a buzz out of whoever, whoever's watching me. So that's coming up next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Until then, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.